Good afternoon. This is Dr. Dan Guerra coming to you from Authentic Biochemistry Studios on the fifth day of September 2021. I want to briefly apologize for not having uh, more sessions with you the last week. I've been writing a manuscript and I've been really tied up with that. I've also had some other um, writing chores. So we will not belabor that point. We'll just say that we're ready to basically finish off some of the regulatory systems in glycolysis. Now, I know it's been sounding rather far afield that we're not talking about the immune axis with aging, but indeed we are. Uh, all of these uh, individual carbohydrate and lipid pathways that we are getting deeper involved in are, of course, uh, fundamental to bioenergetics, but also to the synthesis of intermediary metabolites which can function to either trigger or to cause senescence in cell fate. And this is, of course, related directly to how the immune system organizes towards aging. And we're going to put this all together. I told you, I, pr I promised you that we would do this before the fall came, and we're still only at the beginning of September. So we're going to have some really excellent video lectures on that so I can show you a lot of what we discuss here on the audio. Uh, but for right now, I just want to do some really um, detailed work on the glycolytic pathway and the regulation, because it's very important you understand which organs are involved in maintaining blood glucose and how lipogenesis uh, is overall regulatory in carbohydrate metabolism, not the other way around. So last time we were talking about the regulatory protein or the RP that takes glucokinase, which is the enzyme that has a much higher KM for glucose than hexokinase. Remember, you have HK, hexokinase, and GK, glucokinase, in the liver and also to some extent in the kidney. And both the liver and the kidney contribute to gluconeogenesis, that is synthesizing glucose from non-carbohydrate precursors like amino acids, and then sending them out into the bloodstream so that glucose can be used to maintain uh, glucose homeostasis, but more so, so the skeletal muscle can operate, uh, especially during contraction cycles when oxygen tensions start to decrease in that muscle tissue. And also, of course, to maintain blood glucose for the central nervous system. Remember I told you that fructose 6-phosphate, which of course is the uh, second product in glycolysis, right? So you take up glucose, usually through a GLUT2 uh, mechanism, and that GLUT2 then brings glucose into the hepatocyte. Glucokinase at high glucose concentrations will synthesize G6P, glucose 6-phosphate, and that'll be a summarized fructose 6-phosphate. Now, fructose 6-phosphate and its fate making fructose 1,6-bisphosphate is highly regulated, and we're going to talk about that and also about the oxyapentose-phosphate shown in the subsequent uh, lectures, including this afternoon. But the important issue here is that uh, fructose 6-phosphate is a positive effector molecule for taking glucokinase and binding it to the regulatory protein and taking it into the nucleus where glucokinase is no longer functioning. So that's a, essentially a feedback regulatory mechanism. If you build up enough fructose 6-phosphate that you're not utilizing it through the oxyapentose phosphate shunt, uh, cycling it through in that uh, particular shunt via glucose 6-phosphate through the dehydrogenases and or by resynthesizing it through the transaldolase, transketolase pathways in OPP. 
and also the fructose 6-phosphate isn't being ultimately converted down to pyruvate then lactate or pyruvate then oxalacetic acid and acetyl-CoA for lipogenesis or for TCA cycle functioning for bioenergetics, it means that fructose 6-phosphate builds up and that means that enough glucose has been phosphorylated. Remember that the glucokinase is not feedback inhibited by G6P. Hexokinase is. Now, this is a really important regulation because that's how liver can generate glucose, free glucose, because there's an enzyme called glucose 6-phosphatase. Now, it doesn't have any of this kind of um, uh, highly organized allosteric regulation. There's some, and we can talk about it later, but right now I want you to understand that that's just a hydrolytic reaction. And the only way you're going to have that functioning, first of all, is that the gene has to be expressed transcriptionally, translationally, and it is expressed in the, in the hepatocytes and in kidney cells, uh, not in other cells. So that's why they are not gluconeogenic and do not contribute to glucosomeostasis uh, full stop throughout the body. That's one reason. The other reason is because all the other reactions, including fructose 1,6-bisphosphatase um, and phosphofructokinases 1 and 2, the dehydrogenases and the oxidopentosphosphate shunt, and of course, transketolase, transaldolase, pyruvate kinase, and then ultimately respiratory control or the Pasteur effect coming from the mitochondria uh, because of ATP uh, controlling the PFK uh, uh, reaction. So that's, a, that's all going to come subsequent to right now. I just want you to keep in mind that fructose 6-phosphate, when it builds up, will take glucokinase and send it to the nucleus where it's not functional to phosphorylate glucose at those high glucose concentrations. Okay, so that is how we got there. Now let's move on to the uh, next discussion. Many people, when they take biochemistry, wonder why we don't have futile cycles. That is, if you have glucose and it's converted to glucose 6-phosphate because of glucokinase, and we just told you that there's an enzyme called glucose 6-phosphatase, which will convert um, glucose 6-phosphate to free glucose. The question is, for example, why isn't that happening in a, a cyclic manner? And so ultimately, all you would be doing is taking ATP and hydrolyzing it to ATP and PI, because basically what would occur there. Well, the reason is, is because the glucokinase itself is regulated and all the other enzymes leading to these pathways, particularly in the glycolytic and the OPP cycle, but even as I said, all the way to the level of mitochondrial pasture effect uh, regulation is not going to allow a futile cycle to occur. So it does not indeed occur. Imagine the frustration when chemists were looking at these reactions when they started tearing apart the biochemistry of metabolism looking at these reactions and wondering why there wasn't a futile cycle. Of course, at that time, in the early 1950s, late 1940s, allosteric regulation was just in its infancy. And once we learned that, and of course, subcellular regulation and then zonal metabolic regulation, like where these enzymes are expressed because of control over transcription, um, uh, because of the alteration of chromatin remodeling in different cells, um, then, then we started to understand all the intense regulations really involved. All right. So um, let's just go ahead now and talk about fructose 2,6-bisphosphate. This is not a glycolytic intermediate, 
although it controls glycolysis, gluconeogenesis, and even to some extent the excess pentosphosphate shunt, and therefore uh, bioenergetics. Now, I want you to understand something. There is a pancreatic hormone called glucagon, and glucagon will bind to its receptor and will um, turn on a GTP binding protein that is stimulatory. So we call this a GS protein. And that GS protein will activate, after gun binding, an enzyme called delinate cyclase, which will convert ATP to cyclic AMP. Now, cyclic AMP will cause a decrease in fructose 2,6-bisphosphate, which will then inhibit glycolysis. Okay, so that's one way that glucagon controls glycolytic reactions in the liver. Now, why would it have to do that? Because glucagon is sensing low blood glucose at the level of the pancreas, okay? And so that hormone is stimulated because it recognizes low blood glucose and also is stimulated to be secreted because of lipid metabolism and bioenergetics, which we will go, go into later. But the reason it's happening at the liver like this is because glucagon is going to shut down glycolysis by shutting down the synthesis of the allosteric regulator fructose 2,6-bisphosphate. Again, this is because glycolysis that was fully functioning in the hepatocyte would mean that the glucose would be utilized for example, lipogenesis or lactic acid synthesis for that matter, and that or even for transamination from pyruvate. And that wouldn't make any sense, biochemical sense, any no biochem bio biochemical logic would be involved there because the liver is supposed to be gluconeogenic at this point because the liver then becomes an exporting organ for, the, for free glucose. And that's what glucagon is measuring. It's saying low blood glucose, so the liver needs to contribute to the glucose homeostasis by sending glucose out into the circulation so that it can be used for the brain and for skeletal muscle, et cetera. Okay? So that's one way you get the regulation right, right uh, without even going any further. So... Cyclic AMP, then, is a molecule that is not involved in bioenergetics per se, even though it's synthesized from ATP, as we just described, but it is a, a, a molecule that basically controls metabolism because it's used to activate other enzymes and other enzymatic pathways, and in so doing, it is a, a regulator of those pathways, okay? So you have to keep in mind that there are a lot of regulatory compounds which are not actually utilized in metabolic play, but they're used to control the metabolic mechanism by changing the valence of the reactions. So let's get into this in more detail. Let's describe the reactions involved in the formation and the degradation of this fructose 2,6-bisphosphate. This is, okay, so it's the first level of significance. So you have fructose 6-phosphate, which of course is synthesized by glycolysis from glucose 6-phosphate after the isomerase. Fructose 6-phosphate can react with, or can, uh, the reaction will proceed with an enzyme called 6-phosphofructo-2 kinase, or we also know, know, call it PFK2 which will take ATP to ADP 
and we'll set this as fructose 2,6-bisphosphate. Now, fructose 2,6-bisphosphate can be removed from allosteric control via the fructose 2,6-bisphosphatase. So therefore, its synthesis and degradation are controlled by the kinase and the phosphatase. Of course, the product of the bisphosphatase would just be simply fructose 6-phosphate, which could then go on to become fructose 1,6-bisphosphate via PFK1. So these reactions I'm describing to you, uh, this particular kinase, 6-phosphofructose 2 kinase, and the fructose 2,6-bisphosphatase, that's also known as PFK2-FBPase2. Okay, so whenever you have a protein, you can you can phosphorylate it as long as you have uh, a, uh, a usually it's an alcohol group, an OH group. So you have a peptide chain has a free OH group. The the amino acid side chain would have a free OH group. In the presence of magnesium, you can phosphorylate that, and then you also generate ADP and a proton. So that's a covalent modification of a protein which now it's phosphorylated and it's and because it's a hydroxyl group, you might guess most common amino acid that will have a hydroxyl group that will not be ionized the physiological pH will of course be L-serine, which is an amino acid you find in the polypeptide chain of enzymes that become phosphorylated, you understand. Now there are other amino acids that could be phosphorylated, for example, tyrosine and threonine because they have also have alcohol groups, OH groups, but serine is more common for this uh, phosphorylation cascade. Uh, tyrosine kinases are more involved in um, the G protein and the regulation of signal transduction cascades from the plasma membrane throughout then other membranous regions. That's a different system. And tyrosine kinases, uh, a classical one would be the insulin receptors and autotyrosine kinase. Just to give you an example, not that you need to know about that now. Proceed. So let's just take any given protein then. Protein kinase A is an enzyme which can be activated. Protein kinase or PKA, once it's activated, will phosphorylate whatever the substrate protein is. So it will be a protein phosphorylated at that serine residue, for example. And then there's also an enzyme called the phosphoprotein phosphatase, which will pass water over that bond generate free uh, inorganic phosphate, and then you are made, then you are have formed the non-phosphorylated enzyme. This is a way of regulating the activity of the enzyme. If it's phosphorylated, depending on what enzyme it is, it may be active now, or some enzymes are deactivated by phosphorylation. Then when you dephosphorylate that enzyme that was not that was activated because of that uh, addition of that phosphorylated bond, um, then when you deactivate it with phosphatase, you get it back into register and the enzyme is no longer in fully active form. Likewise, if it's in the reverse, if you phosphorylate and deactivate, when you phosphatase then passes water over that phosphorylated bond, now that enzyme will be fully active. You understand this is a change in valence, right? The weight of the regulation of the enzyme at the level of protein covalent modification. And this is a protein kinase, which is going to carry out these reactions, that phosphorylation. So there's that enzyme we talked about a moment ago, that PFK2, FBPase2, that's one polypeptide. It's one protein. 
And it's kind of like a Janus polypeptide. It can either function as PFK2 or it can function as FBPase2. And that is regulated by protein kinase A. So protein kinase A, after activation with cyclic A and P, which was synthesized medinolate cyclase, for example, right? that protein will, uh, protein kinase A will take PFK2, FBPase2, and phosphorylated. And it will take a protein phosphatase to dephosphorylate. So that's the covalent modification of the PFK2, uh, FBPase2 enzyme, okay? So now you understand there's a level of regulation embedded within a level of regulation, okay? So let's, let's put this all together. And for that, I'm going, to give, I'm going to go back over what I just described to you, okay? Because I want you to get where we are. Going all the way back to the hormone. Okay, so low blood glucose glucagon is secreted from the alpha cells of the pancreas, secreted in the bloodstream. It can bind to a receptor on the surface of the plasma membrane of a hepatocyte, which is in the liver, which is what the liver is composed of, and other cells too. Once glucagon binds to its receptor, it activates that G protein that is the S type of G protein, or stimulatory G protein. And what it stimulates is adenylate cyclase. Okay. Now, I'll give you another uh, nuance here. We also have catecholamines, which will bind to their receptor. For example, epinephrine will bind to its beta-adrenergic receptor. And when it does, it also activates a G-stimulatory protein and will also turn on adenylate cyclase. So a stress response, such as a fight or flee response because of some kind of excitation that comes from the central nervous system because of some stimulus that has occurred uh, because of various sense organs that generate a stress response so that the catecholamines are synthesized and secreted, right? When that happens, or when glucose levels are low, you stimulate adenylate cyclase. Now, why would a stress response act like low, low blood glucose? Because you need a lot of circulating glucose because you need to respond to the stress, such as some kind of uh, thing occurring uh, to, to the individual human. For example, if you're walking in the middle of a, the mountains and all of a sudden a great grizzly bear comes out, the response isn't because of low blood glucose, because probably you've eaten enough food that your blood glucose is okay, but you still need to stimulate more blood glucose because you need to act now and get a lot of energy, so bioenergetics kicked in. And that's why a compound like adrenaline, also known as epinephrine, will then be secreted by an receptor, turn on adenylate cyclase to make cyclic AMP. So when cyclic AMP is made, it's going to activate protein kinase A. When it activates protein kinase A, it's going to take this PFK2, FBPase2, okay? And it's going to convert it to the phospho form. Now, we have to label those two different forms of that protein by saying PFK2, um, FBPase2, to when it's non-phosphorylated, we're going to call it PFK2-FBPase2B. And when we phosphorylate it, we're going to call it PFK2-FBPase-A. Okay. So when that is functioning then, right, 
what that's going to allow for is to take fructose 2,6-bisphosphate and synthesize fructose 6-phosphate. So that means it's going to shut off or inhibit hepatic glycolysis and a cyclic AMP-dependent protein kinase-mediated response because of other low blood glucose or stress response, such as with adrenaline. So you understand that mechanism now, okay? This is all allosteric control in its full floor detail. So you'll tank then the level of fructose 2,6-bisphosphate when glucagon or epinephrine binds to the receptor on the surface plasma membrane of the hepatocyte, right? So without fructose 2,6-bisphosphate, you will not activate PFK1 because that's what fructose 2,6-bisphosphate ultimately does. That bisphosphorylated sugar with phosphate in those two positions, two and six, actually acts as an allosteric regulator of PFK1. And recall PFK1 takes fructose 6-phosphate and turns it into fructose 1,6-bisphosphate. And that is, of course, the substrate for the aldolase reaction moving further down the glycolytic pathway. So if you decrease fructose 2,6-bisphosphate by converting PFK2, FEPase2, uh, beta form or B form to PFK2, FEPase2, a or alpha form, you've basically turned it into a phosphatase, which will take fructose 2,6-bisphosphate and make fructose 6-phosphate. So now you've got a substrate for the reaction, right? And the reaction is PFK1, which is no longer being stimulated because the levels of fructose 2,6-bisphosphate have declined, okay? Likewise, to further control this, when the fructose 2,6-bisphosphate uh, is low, okay, What's going to happen is that um, that FBPase one, which would, which is a different protein altogether from PFK one, that's not going to convert fructose. I mean that uh, what, when you have that decreased, you're going to be able to increase the amount of the bisphosphatase because fructose two six bisphosphate would normally inhibit the bisphosphatase, while it activates the kinase, both of them isoform one. And what I'm talking about here is PFK1, FEPase1, two different proteins. So because you can't stimulate the, um, uh, be, because the fructose 2,6-bisphosphate isn't involved in stimulating that enzyme, the PFK1, it in turn activates the FBPase, which means it'll take fructose 1,6-bisphosphate bisphosphate, which is the normal glycolytic intermediate, right? And not only will it, won't it be synthesized because the PFK1 is not allosterically positively regulated, but the FBPase will be uh, allowed to function because it is normally negatively allosteric regulated by the fructose 2,6-bisphosphate. You understand. So what that means is fructose 1,6-bisphosphate will be ultimately converted back to fructose 6-phosphate, and that's back onto gluconeogenesis, which is what the liver is supposed to do when glucagon and epinephrine, one or the other or both, bind to their receptors on the plasma membrane of the hepatocyte so that glycolysis is inhibited, and ultimately that's through a cyclic AMP protein kinase A-mediated pathway. There you go, okay? All right. So now that enzyme, PFK2-FBPase2, is an unusual enzyme because it's one protein. 
and the amino terminus part of the protein is the kinase, and the carboxy terminus part of the protein is the phosphatase. So that's how it could be regulated like a Janus, like two-phase, right? So that's basically what happens. So you get a mechanism here for an accelerated rate of hepatic glycolysis when the concentration of glucagon and epinephrine are once again steady state low, but insulin is high, okay? So this is what happens now. When insulin binds to its receptor, it will turn on its own after tyrosine phosphorylation of the receptor after insulin binding. That's been generated by the beta cell of the pancreas because of high blood glucose. That will turn on its own protein kinase-mediated cascade. And what it's going to do is take cyclic AMP and uh, there will be a cyclic AMP phosphodiesterase enzyme, which will be activated by that kinase, which will, which will remove cyclic AMP. Without cyclic AMP, you will not have an active protein kinase A. Likewise, the kinase cascade coming from insulin will inhibit any residual protein kinase A activity. So now what you have is you don't have PFK2, FBPase2 phosphorylated, in fact, it is D-phosphoenzyme, and the D-phosphoenzyme will no longer function, right, as a kinase to make fructose 2,6-bisphosphate. I mean, it, it will function now to synthesize fructose 2,6-bisphosphate because it'll act as a kinase. So PFK2, FBPase2, apophosphate, not phosphorylated. And it's not phosphorylated because you shut down the PKA and, it's, and the adenylate cyclase activity because you hydrolyze via phosphodiesterase the cyclic AMP. Remember that, all is because of insulin. Now you have plentiful levels of fructose 2,6-bisphosphate, which is the positive allosteric effector for PFK1. Now you're full glycolytic right on. Glucose, fructose-6-phosphate, and fructose-6-phosphate to fructose-1,6-bisphosphate, non-dual pyruvate. Okay, so now you've shut down gluconeogenesis in the liver. One more thing is happening. That kinase cascade generated by insulin will also positively regulate the phosphoprotein phosphatase, which is the enzyme that works counter, contradictory to the protein kinase A, and it'll take any residual PFK2, FBPase2 alpha form, which was phosphorylated and dephosphorylated. And so that means you're going to be in the fully functional phosphofructokinase 2 mode, taking fructose 6-phosphate to fructose 2,6-bisphosphate, increasing it, turning on PFK1, generating fructose 1,6-bisphosphate because of the allosteric regulation on pyruvate. Now you're fully glycolytic. That's what insulin does. Insulin turns the liver into a glycolytic organ. Now, multiple things can happen with that carbohydrate, not just glycolysis. Uh, glycolysis, of course, is going to generate ultimately pyruvate or lactate or alanine or malate, right? Depending on what the liver needs to do. But ultimately, if you have glycolysis running in the liver, when you have the well-fed state, which is what insulin is signaling because of high blood circulating glucose, it means you can convert that glucose to triacylglycerol and cholesterol. And that's precisely what happens. So the liver then starts to synthesize lipid. And because it synthesizes lipid, that lipid can be translocated from the liver, 
from the very low density lipoprotein, intermediary density lipoprotein, and low density lipoprotein pathways, thus shuttling liver glucose-derived triacylglycerol to the periphery. And one of the major organ sites it goes to is to depot fat, visceral fat. So now you're storing triacylglycerol in the adipose tissue, which is long-term storage for high bioenergetically available carbon once you then hydrolyze that fatty acid and send it back for metabolism. This is your way of becoming, this is why we are oligenous organisms. This is how we store then lipid, right? So one of the major functions here for this whole pathway I just described to you, this allosteric regulation, which is basic biochemistry allostericism, and many, many different kinds of allosteria we will we'll describe. Uh, ultimately, we put this whole thing together for the aging uh, lectures. I just want you to remember how this is functioning at the immediate level, at the level of adenylate cyclase, at the level of kinases and phosphatases, and allosteric regulators like cyclic AMP and like fructose 2,6-bisphosphate. I think we've done a pretty good job now uh, explaining all of that. And that's the important thing, right? Remember that when you have high levels of um, fructose 2,6-bisphosphate, when you have high levels of that, right, that means it's going to positively activate, positively activate PFK1 because fructose 2,6-bisphosphate is a positive allosteric effector. And once you, once you turn on PFK1, then you're running glycolysis. So that's the whole point of this. All right. So let's go back now uh, at uh, the whole pathway level and start describing where we're at. Lactate can be converted to pyruvate. Amino acids can be converted to pyruvate. Pyruvate can be converted to oxaloacetic acid. Amino acids can also be generated, for example, aspartic acid to OAA. And 